that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? I just got back from the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a wonderful experience at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Yeah, we had a lot of rain, but that's okay. It was still a great experience. If you've never heard of the Feast of Tabernacles, did you know you're going to be keeping the feast when, when Christ returns to this earth? You're going to be keeping God's holy days? Well, that's another subject. But anyway, at the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last great day, there was a guy there that spoke about Islam and Bible prophecy. And he, he made a funny comment. He said, he said, you know, you've heard that Islam is a religion of peace. He said, I believe religion, uh, Islam is a religion of peace. A piece of you ends up over here, and a piece of you ends up over there. Your head ends up over here, your torso ends up somewhere else. Yes, a religion of peace. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know anything about the religion of Islam? Do you know anything about the Quran? Do you know anything about the expression jihad, holy war? Do you know who that holy war is against? Now, in the world, there are about one billion Muslims in the world. Islam is the fastest growing, growing excuse me, religion in the world. I'm going to read some statistics here I found. It says, from the year 2000 to the year 2010, we're dealing with just a 10-year period, the census found that the number of Muslims living in the United States increased about uh, 1 million to 2.6 million. From 1 million to 2.6 six million in just 10 years. Uh, a stunning increase of 66.7%. This is an astonishing rate of growth. Meanwhile, most Christian denominations had rates of growth that were far below the overall rate of the population growth in the United States. And some Christian denominations actually lost members. Sadly, continuing on to quote, when Barack Obama once said that we are no longer a Christian nation, he wasn't far off the mark. Christianity is rapidly losing its influence on other religions, uh, to other religions such as Islam, and Islams are, uh, are rapidly gaining members and building new places of worship. Fascinating statistics. Now, Islam is the most dominating religion in the world. What has developed in Islam is the most dangerous cult the world has ever seen. Now, I'm not saying that all Muslims are dangerous. Many of them are nearly as ignorant of their history as we are ours. You know, a lot of Americans don't know that much about their history. And so it's, it's the same with all people. Not, they don't all know their history. And many of them, Muslims, believe a different version of that history. So I'm not putting them all in the same boat. But the reason Muslims are dangerous is because they are part of a religion that does not allow them to question their faith. Okay? 
Now, this program, is that really in the Bible? I challenge you to question your faith. I'm saying go to your minister and say, why do we do this? It's not even in the Bible. Why are we doing these things? Because I understand the only way you ever, ever grow closer to God to become more spiritual in your relationship with God is if you are challenged. And so I actually challenge you to ask questions in church and ask questions to your minister. Why do we do these things? But in this religion, that is the Islam religion, you don't question anything. You're not allowed to think for yourself. Now, there are three views of Islam. And I, much of this information I'm about to give you is taken from a book entitled The Two-Hour Koran. You can get that on Amazon. We Americans really need to educate ourselves about this subject. You can read this book in about the time you can sit down and watch a football game, about two hours, and you will be amazed. <clears throat> All right, the three views of Islam is this. Uh, if you believe that, number one, if you believe that Muhammad is the prophet of Allah, you are a believer. You're okay. Number two, if you don't believe this, you are a kafir, an unbeliever, unbeliever or an infidel. Now, I'll explain what that word means in a minute, a kafir, because it's going to be critical that you understand what that word means. The third view is an apologist. Apologists do not believe that Muhammad was uh, a prophet, but they never say anything that would displease a Muslim. They never offend Islam. Now, where do you fit in as an American? All right. Are you a Christian? Yes or no. Uh, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes or no. Are you a Jew? Maybe you're a Messianic Jew. A Jew that's converted to, you know, Christianity and believes in Jesus, Jesus Christ. Uh, now, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Christ Jesus, if you're a Jew, you would be referred to as a kafir. What does that word mean? I'll explain it in a little bit. Now, do you, another way of putting this, do you believe that Muhammad is the prophet of Allah? If no, you're an unbeliever. You're a kafir. Now, the Quran defines the kafir in the following ways. I'm going to go through seven points here from the Quran about this definition of a kafir. Number one, the kafir is hated. They, kafirs, quoting here, uh, chapter 40 and verse 35, they, kafirs, who dispute the signs, that is the Quran verses, of Allah, without authority having reached them, are greatly hated. Okay? Kafirs, they're greatly hated. Two, a kafir can be beheaded. 47 and verse 4 from the Quran. When you encounter the Kafirs on the battlefield, cut off their heads until you have thoroughly defeated them. And then take, them, take the prisoners and tie them up firmly. Three, Kafirs can be plotted against. 86 and verse 5. They plot and scheme against you, Mohammed, and I plot and scheme against them. Therefore deal calmly with the Kafirs and leave them alone for a while. Leave them alone for a while. Four, a kafir can be terrorized. Chapter 8, verse 12. Then your Lord spoke to his angel and said, I will be with you, give you strength to the believers. I will send terror into the kafir's hearts, cut off their heads, and even the tips of their fingers. 
Number five, a kafir can be made war on and humiliated. The Quran 9 and verse 29. Make war on those who have received the scriptures. That's a reference to the Jews and Christians. But do not believe in Allah or in the last days. Make war on them. Number six, a Muslim is not the friend of a kafir. The Quran 3 and verse 8. Believers should not take kafirs as friends in preference to other believers. Those who do this have none of Allah's protection and will only have themselves as guards. Allah warns you to fear him, for all will return to him. Hmm. Kafirs is cursed. 33 and verse 60. They, kafirs, will be cursed. And wherever, wherever they are found, they will be seized and murdered. It was all the same practice with those who came before them, and you will find no change in Allah's ways. Now, I think probably an explanation that a Muslim would give at this point would be, well, that's talking about the battlefield, when it's a reference to the Kafirs and the enemy and killing them and cutting off their heads. I mean, what are you supposed to do on a battlefield? They're your enemies. Of course you're supposed to kill them. But here's, here's, here's the problem that I, that I have for the Muslim community. Okay, I do not believe Mohammed is the prophet of Allah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I believe, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now, am I a friend? Am I your friend? Or am I just another enemy on the battlefield? That's the question I need to have asked, to have answered from the Muslim community. Am I a friend because of my belief? Or am I just another enemy on the battlefield. Now I want to look at some differences between the Quran and the Bible. It's critical that we know the difference between the two. Alright, the Quran, truth is determined by revelation. Alright, now be leery of any religion where truth is only revealed by revelation. Some spiritual guru, some mucky muck comes along and says, I am your prophet, believe every word I say. Be leery of that. A lot of Americans have got into cults where it was just that. Their spiritual guru told them how to think. All right. Now, the Bible, as we compare the Bible, the Bible, yes, truth is revealed by revelation. Truth is revealed by God. So that's revelatory. But also, truth is revealed by statistics, by relationships, by the nature of man, by family, by your culture, your society. Truth is revealed by what works a lot of times. So truth is not just revealed in the Bible through revelation, but it's often revealed by what works. Let me give you an example. God says, don't commit adultery. All right. Why didn't God just say, commit adultery? Why did God say, don't commit adultery? Well, for a better term, I'm going to try to explain this. There are bugs inside of we human beings, and these bugs can be passed back and forth between husband and wife in the sexual relationship, and nothing happens. But when you introduce multiple partners, and this woman with that man, and that man with that woman, and multiple partners, these bugs mutate, divide and conquer, and create STDs, like AIDS. Now, is there a reason God said don't commit adultery? Well, yes, I've just explained it to you. Then you have the family system. Truth is often revealed by, through the family. What works, you know? A happy family, family system where the 
father and the mother are together. The children are happy. They're brought up. The children are brought up by a father figure, uh, a woman figure, husband and wife, powerful family system. That's what works. Often, truth is revealed by statistics. God says, don't do this. And statistically, it backs it up. The statistics show that when you break that law, everything goes wrong. Truth is revealed by the nature of man sometimes. Did you know the last six commandments are written within the heart of man? You know, how do we know it's wrong to steal? It's wrong to kill? It's wrong to commit adultery? And no one's even told us. We just know that internally because it's written within the heart of man, the conscience of man. So truth is revealed by, through a number of ways. It's not just revelatory. It's not just thus says the Lord. It's revealed through statistics, relationships, the nature of man, family, your society, what works. Yes, that's how the Bible reveals truth. Number two, comparing the Koran with the Bible. No fact or argument may refute the Koran. No fact or argument may refute the Koran. Now with the Bible, God gives us freedom of choice. He created us a free moral agent with the ability to choose right from wrong. And that freedom to obey or disobey, God will never take away from you. Isn't that wonderful that God is a loving God and he says, you know, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe the Bible. Only a loving God would do this. Give us the freedom to accept or reject. And truth of the matter is, you are not free unless you have the option to not obey. You're only free if you have the option to or not to. That's the only way freedom works. And God has given us the freedom to reject His Word. The Koran, no argument may refute, or fact, no fact or argument may refute the Koran. Number three, there is no golden rule in the Koran. Luke 6 and verse 31. And as you would have that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. Luke 6 and verse 32. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. You know, this, this golden rule here just blows the Koran totally out of the water. There is no golden rule in the Koran. None. In the Koran, how a person is treated depends on whether he is a believer or a kafir. Uh, there is one set of ethics for the believer and another set of ethics for the kafir. For the kafir, deceit, violence, force is acceptable against the kafir who resists the logic of the Koran. It's acceptable. All right, politics, as far as the Koran is concerned. The Koran teaches that Islam is the perfect political system and is destined to rule the entire world. What does the Bible teach as we compare the Koran to the Bible? Well, the Bible teaches the soon coming kingdom of God on this earth at the return of Jesus Christ. God is going to set up, yes, a theocracy, the rule of God from the top down. Yes, he's going to set that up. 
uh, in the kingdom with the, with the kingdom of God on this earth, yes. But entry into that kingdom is not forced. Entry into that kingdom is not forced. Forced obedience is not what God is after. Love for God must come free. It must be freely given from us to him. Now, I will admit that Islam has one of the most effective evangelistic tools in the world. And it is accept Islam or die. Accept Islam or die by the edge of the sword. It's been one of the most effective evangelistic tools out there. Now, consider this. In the world, there are over one billion Muslims in the world. Compare that to this fact. The number of Muslim demonstrations, demonstrations against Islamic terror, two. Only two demonstrations from the Muslim community against Islamic terror. Let me break that down for you. If we had a group of crazed, fanatic Americans running around, maybe to other countries, terrorizing, blowing churches up, cutting off heads, you know, just killing people. We as a nation would do something about that. We would say that is wrong and they shouldn't be doing, they shouldn't be banding themselves together and doing this, creating all this terror. As Americans, we would do something about that terror. Again, over one billion Muslims in the world, the number of Muslim demonstrations against Islamic terror, two. Only two, only two demonstrations. What does that tell you? The, the picture is not pretty, what, the, what that's telling you. Now again, the concept of jihad, holy war. I hope you're getting a better understanding of who this war is against. The concept of jihad is offensive in nature with the eventual goal of achieving Muslim domination over the entire globe. That's what it's about. Now, I admit, most Americans would like to believe that, is, that it is only a minority of Muslims that accept this idea of jihad. You know, I, I want to believe that. I, I want to believe, well, they don't believe, surely they don't believe that. I mean, I would like to believe that there's only a minority of Muslims that actually believe this concept of jihad. If we could know the truth, it's probably a minority who don't accept it. Now, I think it's time as a nation that we hold Muslims' feet to the fire. If you know of a Muslim, if you have a Muslim friend, you, we need answers. We need to know, okay, I'm a Christian. What is your view toward me? Or I'm a Jew. What is your view? Or, you know, okay, I'm a, I'm a Kafir. You know, I'm not going to accept the Muslim religion. All right, what's your view toward me? What's your view toward jihad? This holy, who is this holy war against? It's time we get some answers, folks. It's time we get some answers and hold these people, hold their feet to the fire and get some answers concerning this. You know, am I your friend or am I your foe? Am I a friend or am I just another enemy on the battlefield? We need answers. In a topic, the death and destruction of history, 
Bill Warner said this, and I quote, he said, we're seeing the death of history here in the United States. The new textbooks they're using in the seventh grade, get this, the seventh grade, it builds up and elevates Islam and doesn't even mention, doesn't even include Christianity. He goes on to say, the death of history is the death of humanity. What are we becoming as a nation? As we throw out the Bible out of our schools and we don't even make a reference to Christianity. But we're quoting the, Quran, the Quran. What is going on? You know, there's a scripture where God says, you know, as they have rejected me, I will reject you also. That's a powerful kind. You know, it's not that God rejects us first. We as a nation totally reject God. We throw God out of every out, out of our entertainment, out of our schools, out of our government. We throw God even out of our churches by some kind of nonsensical teaching that says, well, the law has been abolished and we're not under the law and it's all been fulfilled and we don't have to obey God. We throw God out of our, out of our churches. And God says, okay, you're going to do it first. You're going to get rid of me and then I'm going to reject you. Now, it's, it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. Now, there may be, I don't know how many brain dead Americans who have converted to Islam. There may be. But I tell you, you better read the small print before you do. Because once you, you can't leave it. If you leave it, you'll be killed. You, once you sign up, you cannot walk away. Christianity is the only religion that is a reflection of God's love for mankind. Don't ever forget that. Christianity has made an impact on America. It has caused much of our blessings that we have in the United States of America. It's, Christianity is about freedom, freedom to choose or not to choose. You know, and God doesn't force his religion down our throat. He doesn't force us to obey him. He doesn't force us to do the right thing. He gives us free moral agency. He gives us the ability to choose right from wrong. And, and then says, it's your choice. It's your choice which way you want to go. I'm not going to force it on you. It's a wonderful relationship that we have with God. And to cast that all away and to throw it and to send it down the drain, to flush it down the toilet, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Now, there's a verse that I have wondered about. It's found in John 16 and verse 2. John 16 and verse 2. It says that they shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time comes that whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. Now, I want to admit, you know, for a long time I looked at this verse and I thought, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It never made a lot of sense to me that Christians would be killing other Christians. Because even the most dense Christian out there, if you've been brought up in a church, you know, okay, murder is wrong, adultery is wrong, killing is wrong. You know it's wrong that you shouldn't take another person's life. And so this verse never really made any sense that Christians would be killing Christians. And yet it says the time will come that whosoever kills you will think that he's doing God's service. And I begin to think, 
Well, maybe this is talking about a different type of people, a different kind of religion. And you know, if you start to think, okay, what kind of people are out there who, if they kill you, they actually believe they're doing God's service? Now, it's not the God of the Bible, it's another God. And I begin to realize that this fits this terrorism, this religion, where, you know, okay, I kill you and I'm doing my God a service by killing you. You know, it's, it's, it's scary to think about the times in which we live. It really is. It's scary to think about. And we need to be concerned about this. There are real concerns that we're up against right now. Whether we will be even safe as a nation. You know, you need to know who your enemies are. You know, when, a, when, a, when an enemy is saying death to America, like Iran, you know, death to America, and they refer to us as the great Satan. You need to take that seriously when someone hates you. <laughs> you really do. And our idiotic, you know, political system, we have actually funded the Iranians to wipe us off the planet Earth. We're actually giving them money to, to, so they can blow us up. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insanity. It's absolute insanity, but the Bible predicts it. The Bible says, you know, I'm going to take away your wisdom from your leaders. They're not going to have a bit of wisdom about them. They're going to make the stupidest decisions they can make. And you're just going to be baffled by the idiotic decisions that, that your leaders are making. Because I'm going to take away the wisdom that they have. They're not going to have any wisdom. You know, <clears throat> we need to be concerned about this. And... We need to wake up. That, that's what I want to leave you, up, leave you with. Wake up, America, before it's too late. Before it's too late. I'm David Freeman. And remember, to always ask the question, is that really in the Bible? If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program, this program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.